if you, if you overpay, you, you know, you're going to get burned. If you don't manage these things correctly, you're going to get burned. And if you don't finance correctly, you're going to get burned. You pull any of those legs off that stool and, and you're, you have the potential for your investment to collapse. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, AAA Adams. And today I am with Mr. Jake Stenziano. Am I saying it right, Stenziano? Sounds good. You say it. Stenziano. Let's okay. go. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So if, if you uh, recognize his name, it's because he has, I think, the most popular apartment investing podcast uh, with Jake and Gino, jakeandgino.com. They teach their students, by the way, to buy right, manage right, and to finance right. Um, another thing about Jake is that he's one of the founders. They founded a nonprofit. Tell, tell us uh, real quick a little bit about that nonprofit. Yeah, so it's really interesting because as you start to build businesses, it really comes down to people, systems, and culture. And we had this large demand from our employee base that they wanted to give back. And, you know, going back a few years ago, I, I wasn't necessarily resistant to it, but I was like, we got all these things going on and you're going to add another business to the mix. You know, we have over 20 entities right now, you know, including our holding companies. So it was, it was like, all right, guys, if, if you want to do it, let's do it. But I said, I'm going to dictate terms on the first one. And I said, if we're going to do something, I want to feed kids uh, because kids don't have a choice. And personally, I love food. I love to eat. And so I, the thing that really you know, pulls in my heartstrings is that kids that do not have food. So the first year, um, we decided to uh, partner up with the local food bank in East Tennessee, and we fed over uh, 10,000 kids. So it was pretty cool. And, you know, it's continued to grow every year after that. And then I stopped being such a uh, psycho dictator, and I allowed, you know, our folks to open it up to other things. We built a playground, uh, you know, for kids last year with the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we're partnering with a uh, you know, homeless shelter this year uh, to do a dragon boat race, you know, just to raise money. Um, you know, Gino and I, we're uh, what was it the W two capitalists? We were on a you know a uh, one of these virtual webinars the other day, and we donated money there. So it's like it, we're doing it, it's growing and it's it's expanding. And the reason I brought up the people, systems, and culture is because the unintended benefit that I did not realize it, is that this is a amazing culture builder within our organization. Uh, the, the amount of value and pride that it gives our employees to go out and give back to their local communities. Um, I could you know, go around giving everyone $1,000 gift cards and I'm sure they would really enjoy that, but this is such a, fan, you know, a fantastic culture builder and, and it really just, uh, it helps out you know, every step of the way through the business. It gives folks something to look forward to. They get a sense of fulfillment and it's, it's just become, you know, it's become part of the culture. Um, you know, my partner, Gina and I, uh, we always say that you know, to get into multifamily, if that's if that's your goal, you want to get into the multifamily game. We really believe it's education times action will lead to your results. We believe that is the success formula. You got to get educated, and then you got to take massive action. If you're you know you're you know sitting on your hands all day reading and, and listening to podcasts, great, good for you. That's a start, but you can't do that forever. You have to pull the trigger. You have to get in the game and suit up. So you know that's that's sort of the the entry pass to get in. But once you're there, it's like any other business. It's income versus expenses. And, you know, it's, it's dealing with, you know, employees if you're going to, you know, scale a management company or asset management and uh, you got to have proper systems and, and build culture. So that's, that's where it came from. Uh, long story short there. Yeah. So. 
Good deal. Well, another couple quick things uh, about Jake as well is they, Jake and Gino have an educational company where they're teaching people how to go to the next level. In the pre-interview, we talked a little bit about that. I just asked him a quick question. Does that help your business? And he says, yeah, it helps our business a lot because we're with a lot of other people. And we're always picking and plucking ideas from others. So I thought that was interesting. He and his partners own 1,400 apartment units. And um, one interesting thing and what kind of ties us into what we're talking about today is that Jake likes to control the entire process. So what that means is he likes to be able to be involved with and manage and control each and every part of apartment investing. So we're going to get into self-management. We're going to talk a little bit about self-management because there's uh, there's several gurus out there and some of them say that's the only way to go. It's the only way you can go. It's the only way to protect yourself. It's the only way to make sure that you're going to be going to the next level. And there's others that say absolutely do not do uh, your own management. Don't ever do it. Not not ever. It doesn't help you. And then there's some people that are kind of in the middle that's, that are this hybrid that are basically saying you should ultimately um, have your own management company, but while you're first building, it's not a good time. So I wanted to have Jake on the show and wanted to understand why he chose from the very, very, very beginning to control the entire process with his, even with his very first deal from these 1,400 multifamily units that we're talking about, why did he decide to do it? So we're going to get into some pros and some cons of self-management. So, Jake, let's, let's get started. I will ask you first, why did you decide that it was the right idea for you and your company to actually purchase um, purchase that first property and manage it yourself. Like before you had a whole ton of experience managing large commercial properties, um, what made that the right decision? And um, looking back on it, is that something you would do again? Yeah. I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what would you change in your business? And, and the typical answer I you know, give is that I would just hire faster. You know, so many times we've waited too long to hire the right people. Uh, but in the beginning, it was sort of the ignorance is bliss theme. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, my partner Gino and I bought a 25 unit apartment complex. I wasn't even thinking of, you know, someone else doing the work. We joke a lot about the I'm a mentality. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything. Uh, I have pictures from, you know, 10 years ago of me like carrying tile into apartment units. And we bought this like orange tractor to mow the lawn. So, so many people get into this game so much more sophisticated than Gino and I did. We knew we wanted to create passive income. We wanted something that we could control. I was working a W-2 job as a pharmaceutical sales rep and, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. It started off great. Uh, the Affordable Care Act came down and they just started with all these regulations and it stopped being fun. I stopped enjoying it. So I was looking for an out and I was literally just looking for yield that I could control. And so, you know, Gino and I partnered up. We started looking at different apartment deals. We found this, and this was like two years for us to get a deal because we didn't have credibility. We didn't obviously know what we were doing in the beginning, but we were able to adapt very quickly and, and you know, put systems into place over time. So, you know, it, it just wasn't, you know, a lot of people, um, I think, have this uh, paralysis by analysis where they're, they're in there with the numbers. You know, we just jumped in. And, and the best thing that, you know, Gino and I ever did 
was we, we stuck in there. We didn't quit. We had thick skin. We got punched a lot, you know, hit in the gut. You know, this went wrong, that went wrong. This employee stole this, you know, this person did that. But I think the best thing was, you know, taking action, getting in the game. And so it wasn't like this whole, like, well-thought-out plan. Oh, we're going to go in. We're going to start this management company. And, you know, look, we took action. We got in the game. We figured out uh, ways to do it. And we get we con it was constant improvement. We were getting better every step of the way. I was going around on that twenty five unit complex. They it was weekly renters. Okay, it was called the Shamrock Motel. It had six efficiencies that they used to use as little motel rooms. It had duplexes on it. Had these little cottages. We rebranded it Courtyard Cottages. The thing's fantastic now. It literally cash flows like six thousand dollars a month for us. And people are like, well, why do you still hold on to that? Like that's my baby. That, that is like the best property in the world, man, for a twenty-five unit. And so early on, um, it had a septic had septic fields. They failed. You know, we had to you know figure that out and get those replaced. We repl ended up replacing all the roofs. There was a whole. Uh, I moved from New York to Tennessee, and there was this whole opioid e epidemic going on down here that I wasn't even aware of. And so, you know, a lot of times I looked at the residents, I was like, are they on drugs? But I didn't know they were actually doing pills, so it was like very hard to detect. And so we ended up evicting a lot of the people, we, we cleaned the place up, um, and it's, it's literally this nice, sleepy little community now. Um, but, you know, we really took our lumps and didn't have this blueprint of, you know, what to do. And, and that's why, you know, the education is so important now because we could have been so much further along if we would have had better education on the front end because it shortens that learning curve. We did it the wrong way, but I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So we took our lumps and we just figured it out as we went. And, you know, fortunately, we bought right. You know, that's it's part of the three-step framework that we talk about. And this this whole evolution of buy right, manage right, and finance right came from doing. It was getting your hands dirty, getting on properties, and understanding them to the core. And that's why I wanted to self-manage from the beginning because I didn't want someone pulling my wool over the over my eyes saying, oh, no, it's going to cost X amount of dollars to do this or, you know, you're not you know experienced, so this is what it's going to be. I wanted to learn from the ground up, and the best way to do it was to insert myself and, and take my lumps at that time. There's a lot easier ways to do it. You don't have to do that. I'm not even recommending people do it. It's just that that's our journey. Um, and that's why, you know, I really do believe that multifamily investing is that, you know, three-legged stool because if you, if you overpay, you, you know, you're going to get burned. If you don't manage these things correctly, you're going to get burned. And if you don't finance correctly, you're going to get burned. You pull any of those legs off that stool and, and you're, you have the potential for your investment to collapse. That's why every step of the way, we're looking to set systems and parameters around those three steps to make sure that our investments are successful. So let's let's talk a little bit more about a couple of things that you mentioned. Um, you did say, you know, we did it the wrong way, but you wouldn't have it any other way. And you said that there was a lot of easier ways to do it. Um, so when you're teaching clients, students, um, how, how to get into apartments right now, are you teaching them that they ought not to manage their own? Is that kind of what you're saying or did I misunderstand? No, it's not. It's not up to me. And it's the same thing. I will never tell somebody that, hey, this is a good deal or this is not a good deal. So for like, you know, when it comes to that, it's setting up your parameters. What are you looking for in a market? What are you looking for from your cash on cash returns? What are you looking for from a cap rate? If you want to self-manage or you're thinking about it, what are your objectives? Do you want to control the entire process? Are you looking at reducing costs? Are you looking at scaling a management company? Do you want to deal with employees? Do you want to go through that whole thing? Now, I'm not trying to intimidate people, but it's work, you know, and I, and I, you're asking me earlier, what am I good at? I have a shit ton of energy. I bring the fucking pain every day when I show up to work. I put in like 12, 14 hours a day. Still, 
because I enjoy it. And that's just my chemical makeup. It's nothing other than that. So it's a good fit for me because I enjoy it. And it's, look, I'm literally, you know, creating generational wealth for my family. And I do believe that at the core of it, that management piece is so important. And, and, and the, the absolute, you know, kind of statements that you're making before about, you know, you have to self-manage or you have to, I'm telling you right now, there's companies that do third-party management that make a shit ton of money, and I'm sure they're fine, and they sleep well at night. So it's not to say that there's not good third-party management companies out there. I know people that complain all the time about it because, look, once you buy the deal and once you get it financed, they have fixed you know, long-term debt on it. The only thing that you're going to be looking at every day is that management, and if you don't have a good partner, it's going to be very frustrating. So I think that you know you have to look at where you are. Are you going into a tertiary market where there's not a good stock of you know property management companies, and so you know you may be buying a 50-unit deal? Those tweener deals are challenging. Do you want to self-manage? Do you see yourself creating a management company? Well, then let's talk about that. Um, but if if that's not you know something that interests you or your desires, it's a much deeper conversation. I think just saying like, oh, I'm going to manage or I'm not. Because you're taking on a you know a monster. I mean, it is it is a full contact sport. You know, all real estate is. So don't just you know. I think it's a very deep conversation. It's something you got to have with your family. You know, I had a burner phone in the beginning while I was you know still working for the pharmaceutical company, and they, I would t- you know take calls, leasing calls from the road. I would go there on Fridays, Saturday mornings, do showings, and I would do Mondays. And it's not it's not sunshine and rainbows and glamorous. I had very challenging residents in the beginning. I was meeting them at McDonald's on the week saying, hey, you got to pay your rent, you know, blowing up with text, you know, doing the door knocks, you know, everything I could do to pull it in um, as we started to realize, hey, these weekly renters that they've had, this is not a resident base. And, and as we started to evolve and shift, but it didn't happen overnight. So, you know. That 25 unit that um, you were meeting people could have been the at enemy. McDonald's <laughs> and all that. What, um, what type of asset class was that first 25 unit? Was it D? Was it C? It, so I, I, you know, I think the the professional would you know just do it based on years, right? So if it's like you know over forty years or whatever, it's going to be classified as like D or whatever. But you know, I would say we 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 took a fringe D plus C minus to like a solid C plus right now, and, and it's just you know I love the deal right now. Like I said, it cash flows great. We put the work into it, so it's it's safe, clean, and affordable. And it, the the reason people love it is because of all the scattered cottages, and so they literally have their own little home that they're paying you know seven, eight hundred bucks a month for, and it just works really well. And they take, it's pride of ownership. So we, you know, we screen people well now. We have great systems in place. And so if you drive it now, you see like all these nice little perennials outside that they're putting because it's, you know, it's springtime in Tennessee. And, um, you know, it's, I love the deal now, whereas in the beginning, man, it started to be like, this thing is a monster. It's either going to kill me or I'm going to kill it, you know, so. I have tons of questions to ask you on self-management. The next one that I wanted to find out is, you, I know that the first one was in Tennessee, mm-hmm. but I, I guess my question would be, out of the 1,400 doors that you self-manage, mm-hmm. are they all in Tennessee or is your self-managing, are you in multiple states? Yeah, so we are in, you know, basically three markets. So we have, I think, 1,100 units in um, East Tennessee, and then we have, I think, about 500 um, throughout Kentucky. So we have um, a little over 
think 350 in Louisville and then about 150 in Lexington. So it's a, it's a little over 1600 total. And so it's, it's a little spread out. Um, our goal is to, you know, anything within a three hour radius of Knoxville, cause that's the home base and, and that's where the, the HQ is and, and the back office and everything. Uh, it, it just makes it easier to kind of, you know, work within that radius and it's, it's markets that we really like. So it would, it'd be different if, you know, there wasn't, you know, if, you know, cause we're looking in Nashville, we're looking in the Carolinas, looking in Chattanooga, looking in Huntsville, you know, continuing to look in, in um, you know, Kentucky and obviously East Tennessee. So it just, we're in a like amazing spot. We can just draw this circle around us and there's, you know, millions and millions of people and opportunity because it's, you know, it comes down to jobs and, you know, population growth. So uh, we're in a good spot, you know, continuing to look in those markets and expand. So just another kind of dumb luck, fortunate thing that, you know, I, I wanted to get out of New York because I, I was not, you know, down with the, the high taxes, you know, it was not, you know, in alignment with my values. And I did not want to, you know, endure that those the weather up there. It just sucks. You know, I, I don't want to be a part of that. So I started looking at places that didn't have state income tax, had reasonable property taxes, uh, were business friendly. You know, I'm not going to invest in a place where they, they take away the landlord rights. You know, it's just not something that, that I want to do. Um, and, you know, I was looking at kind of uh, the, the northeast Florida area, Jacksonville, and I was, you know, kind of drilling down to east Tennessee. We we're kind of considering, you know, um, you know, parts of Texas, but it was a little far, you know, from our family and whatnot. And uh, so we settled in here and uh, started looking at deals and um, kind of the rest is history. Uh, next question is, is off topic. So um, I want to keep it short, but I, I think that there's a few people that are listening that they haven't done the deal yet, but they are looking for the deal. They might be taking education, maybe with you, maybe with another company or whatever. And as they're trying to think like, I need to get into this. They heard you say that you're in three different markets right now. Is, is that the best way to start? Is, is the best way to start to be in multiple markets or do you want to focus on one and yeah. be, you know, so I, I, at like, it? literally never going to tell somebody what to do. Just, you know, you know, what I've seen in my own experience and, and what I think has, you know, worked out well. And, and I think if you can hone in early on on one market, I think it's going to be easier because it took us, you know, Gina, my partner, myself, two years to get that first deal. And, you know, I was a little, you know, aggressive. Um, I think the mentality was that the broker was a salesperson and he should be catering to me. And I quickly realized that I should be catering to the broker because he has the gold that I want and I need to build rapport and, and relationships there. So I think that if you can hone in on a market and become a, a known person in that market, a known potential buyer and build relationships, because that rapport is going to lead uh, to things down the road, you're going to have a... Um, maybe a shorter um, time frame to getting that first deal done. I think the more you spread yourself out, you're just, it's just a numbers thing. It, it's going to make it more challenging. Um, but then it comes down to like, you know, what market are you looking at? How, what are the opportunities there? What's the population? You know, if there's, if there's, you know, 30,000 people in that market, uh, you know, it may, it might be, you know, just a numbers thing where you're having a hard time. But I think if you're, you're around a, you know, a larger MSA and you can kind of hone in there and, and really drill down, I think, you know, your, your odds are better that you're going to close the deal quicker. You know? So I want to ask you a question that I've, I've never asked anybody else. And so I, do, I literally don't know how it is even going to end up. Um, we're going to be getting into the final five here pretty soon, but man, we just got started. Generally, I ask. Generally, I ask everybody, you know, to talk about the things that they learned on their very first um, ever deal that they've did. And there's generally a lot of cool things that you learn. But if you could take me not to the first that took you two years to close, and my first one took me a long time as well. And um, 
but take me to the second deal you ever did. And if you could think of like two or three things that you, that concrete things that you remember learning on that second deal. Um, tell me first off, you know, how big was the deal? Was it close to the other deal? And then see if you can give us a couple of learning lessons of what you specifically learned managing that second property. Yeah. So the second property was about 20 minutes from the first deal and that was 36 units. So our, our, you know, our first three, we went 25, 36, and then we went 136. And so the, the second deal, one of the uh, early learning lessons that I had was we held on to a manager for too long. So we had resident managers in the beginning and it was, uh, and I talked about culture a little while ago and this, this guy's just values did not align with ours whatsoever. Um, was resistant to implementing rubs, was resistant to growth was resistant to anything that was done differently than the way he had always done it before. And so all that resistance now, you know, what that I see, you know, with our employees currently, when, when you have someone that is like digging their heels in and they don't have a, a growth mindset and they don't take extreme ownership, which those are both, you know, part of our core values, we just end the relationship because you, you can't force it. And so, you know, so many times we, we tried to force the relationships because we were, we were thinking like we were desperate and what do we have to offer as employers? And, and now we've built this really great company. We have a great culture and we have a lot to offer people, but it's hard in the beginning because, you know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about like limiting beliefs. My limiting belief was why the hell would anyone want to work with us or this little rinky dink, you know, property management company with 50 units, who's going to come on board? Fortunately, we got past that. We started to, prep, you know, I call it professional up, you know, implement, you know, better systems and, and culture within the organization. So I think waiting too long to fire somebody early on, and, and I've spoken to a lot of guys that are in that 50 unit to 75 unit range, and they're kind of, they feel beholden to the manager that they have. Look, you will get somebody else. Start advertising, start interviewing. Those people are out there. C you know, cut that limiting belief out that you're beholden to that manager, especially now. I think there's a great opportunity right now with all the layoffs that are going on to add some A players to your team. And they don't have to come from multifamily, okay? They, they may be someone that was, you know, uh, in hospitality or the hotel industry that knows how to service residents because I think that that blue ocean uh, in multifamily is a high level of customer service. That's how you're going to separate yourself from all the competition is adding a tremendous amount of customer service to your residents. Um, an example this week, we, we actually bagged up a, a bunch of toilet roll papers with our logo on it and sent them out to all our residents and said, your RANFAM is here trying to make the best of a crappy situation. We got such <laughs> great feedback on that. I you know, people, that. but the residents loved it too. And, and, and so it's like, it's like finding ways to, you know, you know, give back in those, in those situations as well. Um, and, and then I think um, another learning lesson on that one was just the um, the importance of you know getting um, your online marketing right because I think that in in today's environment they always used to say location 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 and I think if if you can get in the right vicinity and have good online marketing you don't necessarily need to be the Walgreens that's on the intersection of this and that because you know in the past it was like oh we want to be able to drive by and see the apartments and put up big banners. Well, if you're, if you're in the right zip code and, and people can put you into the GPS, they're going to be able to find you. So that's one thing that, you know, we've never focused on was, you know, necessarily that type of, uh, you know, site from the road location. We're just looking for great vicinities to be in. So those are probably the two best takeaways from that deal. 
super oh there's another one too please be careful be careful with brokers because you know it's we we try our damnedest to buy in actuals meaning that like you know one thing that i want to do is if i'm buying i'm looking for an eight percent cash on cash return i do my damnedest to make sure that it's going to be from day one and so it, it makes it very hard we only do two to three deals a year it's because you know we look at 200 to find those few nuggets and you know i just remember that not all the brokers are, are going to have that mentality and on the second deal we were up on this balcony and we were overlooking um you know like the uh the, the south knoxville hills and the broker was saying oh look at this beautiful view can you imagine yourself sitting up here and like lady i don't give a shit about this it's going to be great for the residents that live up there but i'm not buying this for my personal views and so it was like funny how she was taking this residential approach to sell it um but yeah you know that, that just stuck with me a funny thing <laughs> on that deal too we were literally on the day of closing and uh, we went over day on uh, the closing. The bank couldn't get their shit together. And the guy, you know, that was selling it to me takes me to this uh, Ruby Tuesdays. And that Ruby Tuesdays is actually closed now. But he was like literally slipping me, like trying to get me to drink beer and get me drunk. And he was trying to retrade me like, like 20,000 bucks. And we ended up settling it like five grand or something stupid because we went over but it was like this guy's in the we're in the middle of this ruby tuesdays there's families all around the bar area and he's getting like aggressive and like starting to swear and trying to get me drunk it was most bizarre kind of situation i've ever been in and i got on the phone with gene i'm like this dude's nuts man we gotta get the hell out of here so 15 bucks of beer saved him five grand is that what happened yeah i mean good investment right (laughs) all right so um next couple questions here is number one uh, just wondering, you do have your own property management company. You self-manage mm-hmm. your properties. Does that property management company service other owners as well? No, too 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 hard to give that away, man. Like I have no. It's 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 meant to service our investments. That's the entire goal of it. It's not to be you know a business to expand you know for others. You know, people on the team have asked before. Hey, do we want to start doing third party? And have absolutely no interest in that whatsoever. This is literally a vehicle to drive results for our investments. Two two more questions here. The the next one is we talked a little bit about McDonald's or we mentioned it earlier. And we also were talking about on that second deal that you held the property manager in too long. We actually held our property manager in our first deal. It was a very small, it was a 16 unit uh, first syndication. And we held that property manager for so long that we weren't able to pay uh, quarterly distributions for at least four quarters in a row and we finally had to get rid of them and then the expenses went crazy so I want to I want to point that but speaking about um, about keeping that manager and I was thinking to myself as you were kind of talking about um, different staffing staff members that you have on your team and how it is to train them and how some of them are are a little bit more difficult to work with. I was thinking about old dogs, can't teach old dogs new tricks. And I was thinking about McDonald's at the same time and how they, how McDonald's has those systems in place where they, they intentionally make it so that they can hire somebody who's 16 to just follow the system and the hamburger tastes the same in Hong Kong as it does in Tennessee. And as it does in any other place of the world where, where they have this because it's the system that kind of puts it all together. So I wanted to find out from you um, if if you're kind of going that McDonald's mentality where you're you have processes, procedures, and you can hire just about anyone. Doesn't matter how much experience they have, and they can call it, kind of fall into your right into place. And or if you're kind of bringing on 
members to help you be part of your self-managing that have experience, but you might run into some problems where they're like, that's not how we did it at Burger King. That's not how we did it at uh, when I worked at Carl's Jr. or whatever. Yeah, so remember what I was saying before about people, systems, and culture. I, um, I don't necessarily align myself with the franchise system model. You know, we've, we've had different people that we've, we've worked with before, and they say, look, I, I just put the, the amazing systems in, and I can plug whoever in, and it doesn't matter. That hasn't been, you know, my experience. So while we do things such as, um, you know, scaling up, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, and we've done EOS. We've hired, uh, you know, a lot of third-party, you know, coaches in to help us grow and, and develop our systems internally. And we've, you know, spent a lot of money on that, frankly, and had tremendous results. But I still believe that if you take a players, you know, if you if you take your Michael Jordans and then you put them into those right systems, you're going to have extraordinary results. I don't think uh, of taking a C player and putting them in the system that you're going to still have those same results. And then the other thing is we like to pair A players with A players because then we think you can even get more of a multiplier effect. So we really do, you know, we put a lot of attention on the the right culture fits, the the right type of blue collar work ethic. Um, you know, and that, that's what I was saying before. It's, it's a lot of make it happen. It's a lot of extreme ownership. And, and that's in alignment with our values. And it's not, look, everyone knows that my day starts right here at this desk at six o'clock. And it typically goes to six to eight o'clock at night. And, and all my employees see that. And I think it's contagious. And, and we all, you know, are in alignment with that blue collar mentality. We're going to kick ass. We're going to show up every day and make it happen. So, you know, I don't think that if someone comes in and they're a C player, um, and we've seen it. They don't. They just don't last because it's it's odd for them. They're, they're saying, "Well, why do these people care so much? Why why are they taking such ownership, you know, over their job?" And so those people, you know, sh- you know, kind of show their ass quick. And um, you know, we, we try to screen for it as best we can on the front end. Um, you know, we've implemented something called top grading. If you guys are familiar with that, um, but it's it's just a you know kind of a, a system procedure ways of hiring um, and, and trying to recruit a player. So I I, I don't. I'm not in alignment with getting slugs and then putting them in and hoping for the best, even though we have great systems. I want people that are rock stars and, and just to elevate, you know, everyone around us. I don't want to be sitting here having meetings, you know, with people that are, we call them Eeyores. Oh, yeah, it didn't really work out today. Oh, well, you know, that's just not going to, it's just not going to work um, for, for us. And that's our culture. And that's okay. And if, if you have a call center or you have a McDonald's and, and you can put slugs in and they can, they can do it and follow the systems, that's great. Um, but it's just not something that, that's in alignment with us. So Interesting. Um, speaking of systems, what property management systems um, mean a lot to your business that a listener who's thinking about perhaps actually managing their own their own properties mm-hmm. they they might need to know a couple of those systems that will really get them to the next level yeah something that we we implemented early on uh, was something called the move-in fee and, and and keep in mind guys like, people think of systems and, and they, they're like oh, like oh my god it's just you know huge elaborate look this is a policy or procedure that you're putting in place and, and you're making sure that there's follow-through that people are going to adhere to so there has to be those quality control checks as well so that's that's a big part of it but something we did early on was a move-in fee and essentially you know if you have a thousand dollar security deposit we said hey we're going to cut this in half we're going to do a $500 non-refundable fee. It's going to go straight to the house. There's no contention now between the resident and the ownership, okay, that am I going to get this back? If I break this, what happens? And we also do um, typically a sure bond depending on your credit score so that there's a little bit more protection on the back end. But that whole sort of weirdness between ownership and, and resident goes away. 
from day one, lower barrier to entry for the resident to get into the unit because they're paying about half. And it's worked phenomenal. And our fee uh, structure ranges anywhere from 12 to 15 percent on a monthly basis. So, you know, check with your state. Uh, again, we're in, you know, uh, states that are more business friendly and it seems to work well and it seems to be a great value to the residents, you know, and to, you know, our companies. But that's something that early on, you know, remember what we were saying is that, uh, well, I've always done it this way. Well, you've, you can always do it that way somewhere else because we don't want you to always do it that way here. This is, this is how we do it. And it's, it's been phenomenal. So. Okay, so talk, so tell me a little bit more about this move-in fee. It's not something that we've implemented, so I'm a little bit curious. Um, so again, check with your you state. It, you know, it's you generally sure that's yeah. You gotta make sure that's you see, compliant. You know. Okay, but I guess what I'm saying is, I want to make sure that I understood. Sure. If another community, apartment community next door, would typically charge, you know, first month's rent and a security deposit of let's just say a thousand mm-hmm. um what are you're doing differently is not charging a thousand correct but charging 500 but none of it's refundable instead of a thousand and it might or might not be refundable it's just 500 it's just not refundable is that accurate that's correct okay how long have you guys been doing that uh since we started okay so it was literally uh we've been doing that for last seven or eight years or whatever so do you know other teams um that have done the same thing it's the first time i've heard of it yeah no i'm sure i'm sure that other folks where we've run into it i think was you know we've looked at it's doesn't come up as often but we've seen deals where they they've been doing it so it's not something that you know i I honestly don't know the percentage of companies are doing it because the bulk of the deals that we buy all come with security deposits so, and then and, we just, we pay those out as we go and then, Okay. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm thinking as, as I was one of the residents, I was moving into a place where I gave a thousand dollars and I wanted to make sure I got as much of it back as possible. I would probably be putting all of the holes and trying mm-hmm. to just like make sure nothing happened. Um, versus if, if I, if I paid 500, I might be less careful about, uh, making little mistakes like that. What are your thoughts or what have your experiences been over the last yeah, seven so, or eight years? So we do a pre-move out inspection anywhere from 30 to 60 days prior to the resident you know, leaving. And we let them know that on the front end and we follow through with that. And so if there are you know, uh, you know, defects from the time that they moved in, they will be charged for it. Um, so it's not like it's a get out of jail free card. Um, so yeah, that's just sort of how it goes. It doesn't, it doesn't come out of the rent. charged on top of the 500. Correct, yes. Interesting. Okay. Cool stuff. I've, we, we could have talked about that the entire time. I the think moving that, fee, baby. Make it happen. That's interesting. <laughs> I like it. Um, what other uh, things were in your mind as we discussed that the, you know, the topic today was going to be around self-managing, pros and cons? What other things were in your mind that you felt like you needed to share with somebody who was considering which way to go on their first or second asset? Yeah, just find out what's important to you and what your goals are. I think you should align it uh, with your goals. So like, it just depends on where you want to go. And, and also, you know, do you think it's something that you can handle and do you want to handle it? And, and I think regardless if you do self-manage or you do third-party management, I meet 
um, regularly. So I, I used to meet with all of our property managers once a week, but you know now that there, there's 10 different offices, I will literally meet with them every other week. And we have something we call L10s. It's something that came out of EOS. And so we have our weekly L10s. And now I'm on half of those where I used to be on all of them. But I think that if you own properties, and even if you're doing third party, you need to be meeting with the property manager weekly or someone on your team does. Uh, because I think it's that disengagement. People go out and they want to buy a lot of deals great, but you still need to make sure that you're managing the manager. And, and I think there's a, a lot of times I see a distance between you know people that may go out and syndicate and then and then the management. You need to be on them every week, regardless, or someone on your team does. And I think you need a structured, you know, and, and go through. We have something that we send out every week called a pulse report. It goes over delinquency, occupancy, you know, cash collections, everything. It's all the KPIs listed out. We start each each one with the, the, the Pulse report. They get it sent out every Friday. If there's anybody that's on the naughty list, they're going to get an email from me on Saturday morning, and, and then we're going to review it the following week. So it's just getting those policies and procedures dialed in and, and just trying to understand yourself. Where do you want to take it? Multifamily, to me, is is the best vehicle. That's why we're here. You know, I went to school. I, I thought I was going to be a gym teacher. I, I was all into sports and everything and realized that, you know, it sucked, and I hated being a, a glorified babysitter. I didn't want to do that. And ultimately, I found a great vehicle that provides a wonderful life for me and my family. So that's why, you know, I say, you know, look at the vehicle and and try to align it with your objectives. Um, you know, so if if self management is aligned with what you're trying to accomplish in multifamily, give it a go. If it's not, you know, don't try to fool yourself. Are are you going to be, you know, pushing it where you're going to be on top of people and you're ready to build, you know, a, a business? I think that's the key. Um, so. You know, it's as just far, look, look internal, man. You got to <laughs> see what you're about, right? It's like, so. yeah, as, as far as the weekly calls, um, you were talking about how you had to be on the manager. You had to make sure you were actually managing the manager. And uh, let me just ask you uh, this question. Um, how much time do, do you think it should take in the beginning of a deal over the first 12 months of, of, of a deal for the person who's asset manager over the manager, of, over the property manager, how much time should they be expecting to, to devote to this community, to this apartment community that they just bought? The reason I ask is because I know a lot of, a lot of people are talking about passive income, passive income, passive income. And I will say, in our experience, it's very much not passive. Like, it's passive for our passive investors. They don't have to do anything. But for us, we put a lot of time into managing the manager, managing the property. And it feels, it feels like a full-time job to manage, you know, seven deals. It should be. So, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. How much time yeah, I think, you said I think it should be? How much time should that be? Yeah, I think also one thing that we've implemented is we have a uh, you know a takeover specialist as well because you know keep in mind that as you're going through it we have you know we have our asset manager we also have a takeover specialist we we have an area manager and then a property manager so there's a shit ton of eyeballs on what's going on and and so basically there's you know we have these these uh, different checklists as we're going through just from like the asset management side and what needs to be done to close the deal. 
bank accounts, LLCs, blah, 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 all the shit that needs to go down in chronological order. But then running in parallel with that is the takeover specialist who's you know out on the property, analyzing the deal with us, finding out what the things that need to be fixed. Okay, signage has to go up. Uh, this is the paint scheme that we're going on when we take over. The property needs to be striped and sealed. And then so there's this, this, um, this takeover specialist list that they're working hand in hand with the asset manager and the property manager to see that getting pulled through. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's as much as it takes to see the shit through and make sure it gets done. I mean, I, I think that, you know, at least, um, you know, and those meetings are going to be at least an hour a week. And then if you're doing any actually quality controls and checkups, um, not including, you know, running the numbers and, and, and going over the stuff. So I think that it's, look, it, it's, it's work. And if you want to be successful, you gotta, you gotta put in the hours. So. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you have a team, um, you have the asset manager, Mm-hmm. You have the takeover specialist, which mm-hmm. uh, is also something I've, I've, we don't, we've never done that. We've never used that. Um, I thought that was interesting. I, I put that in the show notes, a takeover specialist. So you got the asset manager, the takeover specialist. You do have the property manager. What other people are part of your team right in the beginning? Uh, I, I would, yeah, so, I you, so you have the contractor. area manager, you have the area manager, and then the, over them, you have the regional manager as well. Um, the regional manager sees our, over our entire portfolio right now. We have two um, uh, area managers underneath the regional. Uh, we also have what we call a CapEx crew. And so, you know, we look, you know, renovations can get crazy. So we have a team of about eight guys on it and that um, basically go around and, you know, do a lot of our heavy lifting, you know? So if it's, you know, whatever needs to be done, these guys are pretty damn skilled and, and can usually, you know, get most jobs done. So it's a uh, it's phenomenal part of our business. Um, love the CapEx crew and, you know, they, they get special, uh, you know, culture treatment as well where we, we do special events with, with just the CapEx crew because uh, they, uh, they have a very, very warm spot in my heart. So... Are these teams uh, generally employed by the property management company that you own or are they generally employed directly underneath the properties that you're purchasing under that LLC? Yeah, so so they're employed by the property management company, but you know, keep in mind out of our 1600 units, like you know, Gino and myself and our other partner, we we own those 1100 units. So we are you know, we're more of owner operators and we do as well syndicate on, you know, larger deals as they come through. So those are, you know, those are employees, you know, of the company and if, you know, we need to send them to one of our syndicated properties, you know, just depending if, you know, how big the job is, we may build back at cost or something like that, but it's an added benefit, you know, to the LP investors to, you know, have that, um, you know, that uh, kind of luxury, if you will. Is it difficult to find them a place to stay during the project? The question, the reason I ask this is because it sounds like you had uh, um, a radius that you would go, and I mm-hmm. thought you said it was around three hours. And which yeah, we, I mean, we have a guy up at our uh, our, our Beachmount property right now. Um, you know, he's up there for two weeks, and so you know, it just depends. I mean, you may have to you know endure some hotel costs, but you know, literally, he's doing a seven thousand dollar job this week, and so if we have to, you know, spend four or five hundred bucks on hotel costs, and you know, you, you see the spread there, it makes a whole yeah. lot of sense. So yeah, yeah. and I w- I would say. 
Um, you probably, most likely, based on a couple of the other answers, you might resist this question because it sounds like you don't want to tell somebody exactly what they should or should No, I just don't do. think I can tell someone, you know, I think the answers have to come from within. We, I can tell about experiences and things. I just don't think yeah. that, I can't tell somebody what to do. I don't want to say it's laziness, but you need to, you know, try to, people as entrepreneurs, we need to test, pivot, and figure it out and understand yeah. our values and goals. I can't tell you what your goals are or, or where you want to be in life. If I can just share my experiences and, and parameters that we use versus saying, hey, you got to do this. I don't know what you need to do. Only you can find that out for yourself, you know, and, and then just hear others' experiences and try to make the best judgment that you can. Okay, so if, if, the, listener, if the listener is deciding, you know, which way to go, um, what type of person might they need to be if they were going to go in and actually manage these themselves versus... Um, is there some other type of personality that would be better so to, I'm a to D. hire it out? On the disc profile, I'm a D. A high so, D. <laughs> okay. But no, I mean, it's look, it, it, you have to not be afraid to get your hands dirty. You have to be okay and comfortable uh, being uncomfortable a lot of the time because there's a lot of, you know, look, employee issues are a real thing until you can scale and, and get, you know, other managers around you that, that see the vision and, and operate you know, cohesively with you, then it's, you know, you're going to have to take the brunt of that, you know, and it's going to take years to, you know, work through that. Uh, it's just like anything else. So what is the hardest part of what is the absolute hardest part of having your own management team? Yeah. So again, the whole management team is based around people, systems, and culture. And I think it's building that bench and building that team of A players over time. Um, that, that It doesn't happen overnight. And, and for us to work, we, we want a team of A players. And so to build that dream team, it's going to take years to do, and it's it's a lot of work. So I think it's you know, the quicker that you can get there. I mean, we one of the hacks that we found early on is two of our, our the best players on our team came from Ruth Chris. And it literally came from, you know, when we were going there um, negotiating deals with bankers, um, you know, that we had some like amazing waitresses that understood your super high level of customer service because Ruth's has a great training platform uh, that's based around customer service and that yeah. aligns with our values. So, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we need to, we need to wrap it up. I learned a lot. You I didn't ask me listener, about my book, man. Which book? The, the Beehive book? No, Atlas Shrugged. I think Atlas that Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged is my all-time number one favorite book. I think it uh, it's a, it's a book on philosophy, teaches objectivism, and it helps people learn how to think. Uh, I think it helps people become better critical thinkers and, and not just become you know drones to the media merry-go-round. And I think the more independent thinkers that we have, uh, you know, the better and stronger our society is going to be. Hey, it's Adam Adams, and I am thrilled and excited to announce the launch of my brand new, brand new YouTube channel. So I don't know if you like YouTube or not, if you watch YouTube or not, but if you do, head over and please subscribe to the Apartment Investing Show. This YouTube channel is 100% about apartments only. If you're looking to fix and flip, not the right show for you. If you're looking to invest in hotels, not the right show for you. This is the apartment investing show, and I mean the apartment investing show, and I'm thrilled and excited about it. If you can, do me a giant favor, run over there right now, if you're a YouTube watcher, and find the apartment investing show, please give me a rating and a review, like give us a thumbs up and subscribe, click that bell. 
we're going to be pushing out some amazing content on the YouTube channel. So if you are looking to scale and grow and get into apartments, whether it's syndication or just owning these on your own, the Apartment Investing Show is the right show for you. Go look for the Apartment Investing Show on YouTube right now, and I'll see you there. What's the best way for the listener to find you and get a hold of you? Yeah, so any of our websites, um, you know, if you want to start the conversation with us on, you know, the the um, you know the education side, you can go to jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. Um, we have great resources there, such as our credibility book. It's something that we used early on. We give it away for free there. You can go on and it basically is a great resource to use with brokers, uh, bankers, whatever the case may be. And it's just a way in the beginning. Look, you don't have credibility in the beginning. So it was our business plan. It was our blueprint to say, hey, this is why you should give us a shot because you're asking for the opportunity in the beginning. People are not going to be hunting you down. Uh, okay, it's it's. Remember what I said earlier about being the sales rep and the broker. You're trying to sell the broker on why you should, you know, uh, be credible enough to take the deal down. Um, we have great, you know, debt and equity solutions through RandCapLLC.com, so you can check out our mortgage company over there. And then if you're ever looking to, you know, get on one of, uh, you know, one of our deals, you can go to RandPartners.com as well. So again, it's a vertically integrated group. Um, we try to control the the entire process, and uh, and that's what we got going on. So. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. A lot of value talking about how, if you should be managing your own properties or not. Uh, Good stuff. Thank you. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Jason Lewis and myself, Adam Adams, are grateful to have you as a loyal listener. And I do have one quick favor to ask is... If you are looking for apartment investing, then go to apartmentinvestingshow.com. That is the brand new YouTube channel that I just launched. Brand new YouTube channel. Uh, Again, this is only for apartment investing. That's all we talk about there. It is the Apartment Investing Show, and you can find it by going to apartmentinvestingshow.com.